Welcome to Savage Minds. I'm your host, Julian Vigo. Today's guest is Philip Altman. Dr. Altman is a well-known Australian authority on clinical trials and regulatory affairs with more than 40 years of experience in designing, managing, and reporting of clinical trials and in working with the Australian Therapeutic Goods Administration in gaining new drug approvals. He has worked in senior managerial roles for several multinational companies, including Merrill Dow, Hoechts, Roussel, and G.D. Serrell. He established Australia's first contract research organizations, CROs, where he served as a senior industry consultant for more than half of the pharmaceutical companies present in Australia. His career has seen him involved in more than 100 clinical trials, phase one through four. He has been personally responsible for the market approval of numerous new drugs since joining the pharmaceutical industry in 1974 a graduate of Sydney University with an honors degree in pharmacy, master of science and doctor of philosophy degrees, focusing on drug development, pharmacology and pharmaceutical chemistry. He co-founded and is a life member of the largest professional body of pharmaceutical industry scientists involved in clinical research and regulatory affairs, Association of Regulatory and Clinical Scientists to the Australian Pharmaceutical Industry Limited, ARCS. Dr. Altman was a director and the chief clinical trial and regulatory advisor for a public company involved in the development of a live virus for the treatment of late-stage melanoma. More recently, Dr. Altman has presented to the cross-party COVID inquiry held in Brisbane and has provided expert reports in relation to both the Australian and New Zealand judicial review and high court cases in relation to the COVID vaccines. A comprehensive review of the safety and efficacy of COVID-19 vaccines entitled A Time of COVID, dated 9 August, has been widely distributed both nationally and internationally. I welcome Philip Altman to Savage Minds. Before we dive into the COVID debate, could you please give us a bit of background, given that, as you might have seen on social media or heard, that the term expert has come to mean anyone with a really strong opinion and a cap lock button. Yeah, well, well, that's that's right. Um, uh, where I'm coming from is basically a person who uh, has uh, spent more than forty years uh, in the pharmaceutical industry uh, in relation to doing clinical trials, that's designing them and managing them and reporting them for big pharma in the main, and in dealing with mainly the Australian Department of Health, but other regulators as well. So uh, that's, that's basically my, uh, my experience. And it's, it's fairly broad experience because uh, I started Australia's first contract research organization uh, called CROs in general. They're all over the world now, but uh, CROs uh, can be small companies that can employ thousands of people, and they do the contract work, clinical trials and regulatory affairs work for Big Pharma. Big Pharma doesn't do all of its own work. It contracts out the work, and I started Australia's first CRO, so I I basically work for uh, more than half of the multinational pharmaceutical companies in Australia. Uh, so that that's basically my experience. We have listeners from all aspects of the political spectrum. 
Why should they trust your input here today or anywhere, given that, as you know, a lot of people are skeptical of big pharma, are skeptical of the industry's pull, and maybe yeah. you've become skeptical as well, even though you've been yeah. involved yeah. in it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Why, why am I here? Um, that's, a, that's a really good question. Look, um, I sold my CRO to a multinational uh, many years ago. Uh, I don't have to be here. I, I don't have an ax to grind. I'm not selling anything. Uh, I really should be on the tennis court or in my little boat. Uh, <laughs> what, a, what am I doing here? Uh, you know, I, I ask myself this question all the time. I'm, I'm speaking to you on international radio, a podcast. I've been speaking to large groups of people. I would never have thought that uh, that I'd be doing this sort of thing. And I can tell you, I'm not, I'm not, it, it doesn't come naturally to me. And I don't really want to do it, but um, there are very few people who have my, level of experience in dealing with drug development and regulatory affairs um, that are out there that are prepared to um, speak truthfully. I, I really haven't heard many people. I know that Robert Malone has dealt extensively with drug regulators in various parts of the world. That's why I really respect his opinion. Um, but uh, uh, there are some others too, um, but basically there are very few of us who have come from Big Pharma who have been prepared to speak out. And and really I wasn't, uh, you know, I'm not a anti, or I haven't been an anti-Big Pharma guy. I, I was treated very well by Big Pharma in my career. And uh, it's, it's just in the last... Um, two and a half, three years during during this mess that uh, I began to question uh, a lot of the things that are going on. I've seen your YouTube video from mid-September and I had a little giggle because when I went to share it, I noticed it had to be retitled about a specific flora or fauna to avoid the YouTube censors. <laughs> and right. as you know, you know, Robert Malone has faced expulsion from social media. Loads of yeah. people are yeah. being silenced who do not toe the line. And the line is yeah. always the same. It's not like a coincidence that sometimes has Fauci, has he been tossed from Twitter ever for like a 60 day ban? No, yeah. it's always no. the other side, the skeptical side that's being banned, being completely expelled. And that's enough to raise eyebrows mm. for even people who are the mm. most devoted to follow the science, let's say. But your yeah. points in this presentation are clear. It's the presentation you made to the Australian Medical Professional Society. And you open with, we, the Australian people, have been deceived, we have been lied to. and. I'm across the ocean and I'm across many oceans from you. And when I saw you say this, I thought, wow, he's speaking to people across the planet. I'm not in Australia, but your words reflect so much of the deception across this globe enacted against populations who have been told, air quotes, follow the science. 
follow yeah. the science has become its own worst joke. Whenever I interview people on this subject, I always have to clarify which science I'm talking about. The mediated yeah. MSNBC, ABC there, BBC, all the science and watch people on their balconies singing, clapping for their healthcare professionals. We were sold yeah. some really thick ideological nonsense. Oh yeah, look, this is really played with my head. You have no idea. You have no idea. It's, uh, I felt that, um, you know, in recent times, I've been such a fool because I didn't see it. I, I was, I was there playing my role in big farm and I really didn't see it. And in that, in that, uh, uh, that symposia that you refer to in Melbourne on the 10th of September. Uh, I was I was sitting in the front row with and and watching Pierre Corey speak. You know, he spoke before me or after me, I, I forget which. And um and he said that he's just realized how controlled the medical literature is, how Big Pharma controls the literature and therefore controls medical thought. I was sitting there and, and I felt so relieved because I've been feeling like such a fool because I've been following the medical literature on the vaccines, of course, and ivermectin as well, right? That was my, my original interest. Um, and I felt like, my God, what? Why didn't I see it? But then I thought, ah, Pierre Corey didn't see it too, right? right? And he's he's a he's a very famous guy. Now, what I mean by that is that I think most doctors don't realize that the iconic medical jur journals that they that they receive most of their so-called credible information from and and they rely upon is highly controlled by big pharma. They cannot exist without big pharma. They're highly dependent on the advertising and control by, by big pharma. You've seen it in other paradigms, no matter the drug, big pharma is sponsoring sure. the trials, right? Sure, sure, they, they are sponsoring the trials. And there is this, this bias toward huge, uh, randomized controlled clinical trials, which are really, really expensive, take a big organization to, to uh, put into effect, to fund, to manage, to design, to report, and so forth and so on. So big pharma controls those trials. There used to be a lot of investigator-sponsored trials, like a doctor would have an interest in something and would set up their own trial within a hospital, might get some funding from the hospital, or, or even a little bit of farming of, of funding from, from big pharma, but, but they would be in control. But most of the trials that you see now are designed and controlled by big pharma and reported. Now, if you, if you want to report something that is, say, not um, uh, complementary toward uh, the vaccines, you, you are up against a lot of scrutiny. You have to watch your words about how you publish and what you say, you won't get it published in big journals at all, the iconic ones, right? And so this is highly controlled. Uh, thought is highly controlled. I mean, 
continuing education now. Over the last two years, I've become to be aware that continuing education is a bit of a joke in medicine. Evidence-based medicine is a bit of a joke. I mean, we are in, we are living in a post-truth world where there is scientism. Now, what scientism is, is basically junk science on an industrial scale, which is supported by governments, by health bureaucrats, by drug regulators. The just look at what what has happened with these vaccines i mean this was this has been and is a complete disaster now you could have predicted it you could have the way they researched these vaccines they cut so many corners and did so many things that that meant the risk of failure was incredibly high Right. And now we're seeing the result. We're seeing the result mainly in terms of excess deaths all over the world. Right. Now, very just being underreported, too. Of, of course, of course. It doesn't hit the mainstream news media. It doesn't appear in the newspapers or on the nightly um, news on TV. You, you just will not see it. I have to go into the Australian Bureau of Statistics and pull that data out uh, on a regular basis. But every major country produces these excess death statistics. Now, they fiddle with the adverse drug reaction reporting. We can come back to that if you you wish. Um, But excess deaths is, is the deaths over and above in a population for whatever cause that you see. Now, countries can fiddle their bureau of statistics wherever they are, can fiddle a number of things. What's really hard to fiddle is births and deaths, right? And when you're looking at excess deaths and you go back four or five years, you can see that in many countries, like Australia, just been reported just a few days ago because they roll out the figures uh, every every month. Uh, we have a seventeen percent excess death rate. That involves a lot of people, right? And I, as I understand it, Philip, they've gone back before two thousand twenty to even make those comparisons. They're not oh, yeah. only doing oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, you usually go back four or five years or so, right? To to form your baseline for comparison. But uh, the excess deaths in Australia are now, uh, the latest report of a few days ago is, is now 17%. That's why isn't anyone asking? And these are not COVID deaths. These are not all COVID deaths, right? A lot of people would, would, would hand wave this away and say, oh, well, we're in a, pandemic it's all COVID no it's not only about a quarter of those deaths are COVID deaths and and it's people dying with COVID not due to COVID if you look at the statistics anywhere in the world certainly the Australian stats when they officially report there'll be a little fine declaimer that that will say 
the COVID deaths do not distinguish between those dying with COVID and those dying due to COVID. That's mm -hmm. very, very important to know, right? Because mm -hmm. COVID-19 as it is now is very infectious, but it's, it's, it's not as lethal as it used to be. A lot of people have COVID. A lot of people don't even know it, that they have, have COVID, right? So they go to hospital for a, for a broken arm. They get in the hospital. They do a PCR test, which is a, we, we should never have used the PCR test. The PCR test is a laboratory uh, test that is not diagnostic for disease, right? It was never intended to be diagnostic for disease. And the way it's cranked up with the threshold, the way it's a, it's uh, performed in laboratories here and elsewhere across the world means that it can pick up just a fragment of a virus, right? You don't even have to have a live infection. That's right. A lot of people have criticized them as well because depending on the rate of centrifuge in analyzing the test, I've been told that countries have different numbers that they're using. Yes, it's called cycle threshold. So, so they can they can crank up, they can amplify just in simplest terms. They, they can amplify the detection millions and millions, even billions of times, right? Depending on how many times they cycle the test. They go through a temperature cycling to uh, detect fragments of a virus or a virus. And you can make the test as we have done in Australia, when you use a cycle threshold of like 40, it's meaningless because, because you're, not, you're not detecting viral load. You're detecting a positive or negative, whether you, the test is positive or negative. And if it's positive, it could be positive for a single virus. That's, that's meaningless, right? But they've used this for health policy to direct health policy. And uh, I guess you've seen, like we've seen here on the news, you know, the number of cases, which was all determined by PCR. So what you're saying, Philip, is that the numbers, especially in 2020, but they were using these all the way through last year in most every country, that these numbers were incorrect, meaning that the numbers reported were too high, perhaps? Of course, uh, of course, they, they were meaningless. They didn't relate to the number of, of uh, really sick people. The number of really sick people, that measure would have been the number in hospital, right? Right. Because for most people, COVID-19 is like a cold. It, it's either no symptoms or a mild cold. So what's the point in measuring all those people? if they're not really sick. So hospital policy, health, health policy of a country should have been driven by the hospital admissions for COVID-19, not for other things, but for COVID-19. Then we would have had a more realistic approach to how to deal with it. And, you know, we just went crazy because it was all driven by fear. It, and that was intentional. Early on in this, 
towards the beginning of autumn in 2020, I had two of the founding members of the Great Barrington Declaration on the show, and they pointed this out as well. This is not like you're some tinfoil-hatted scientist in Australia studying kangaroo life in your retirement who decides to come out and say, this is all nonsense, mm -hmm. and you've, you've just gone mad. I mean, this is something that so many scientists have said was wrong. In fact, so many have said it's wrong that governments not only rolled out the rapid antigen tests, they did so without acknowledging that the PCR tests were rubbish from the beginning. Yeah, well, they've always been rubbish. I mean, that anyone that knew anything about PCR tests knew that that was the wrong test to use. It was, it, it, it inf artificially inflated the numbers and scared the pants off people. And, and that was sort of the point, wasn't it? That was the point. That, that was the point. And, and even the face masks, everyone knows cloth and paper masks don't work. There's, there's no data that, that uh, supports the use of cloth and paper masks. And you see people, even today, riding around in their cars with their windows up, wearing a paper mask. I mean, it, 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 it does my head in. I, these people must be so <laughs> frightened. I feel sorry for them. I, I really do. I, I it, it, it's hard to believe. And, and the worst thing, the worst thing about that is that our health bureaucrats know this is wrong and they say nothing. They stand by and they say nothing because the bureaucrats have got amazing power by using fear. And they've grabbed it with both hands and they will not let go. And they stay silent. They stay silent regarding vaccine mandates. They know these vaccines do not prevent infection or transmission of infection. They know that now. The whole world knows that now. Even the people in the CDC, and the NIH, they're saying it. They're saying it everywhere in the world. They've had to admit it now, right? But our health bureaucrats, they've even admitted it too, sort of in a, in a, in a, in a mild way. But they know vaccine mandates are ongoing. People are losing their jobs. Marriages are breaking up. Businesses are going broke. People are committing suicide, right? And they stay silent. And... To me, that is the tragedy. I, in the beginning, I cut them a bit of slack, the bureaucrats and the uh, drug regulator here, the, our, the TGA, because no one really knew about these gene-based vaccines. To begin with, they weren't vaccines, but th these gene-based vaccines, no one knew about them. And they were rushed through development in 10 months. Unbelievable. And, and they cut so many corners. I, everyone was panicked. And I didn't know much about it at the time. I'm not a specialist in vaccines. I'm not a vaccine specialist or a virologist. But I know about drugs and I know about the how to test drugs for safety and efficacy. And I've looked at the data in these dossiers very closely. And the amount of data that they submitted in order to get provisional approval was 
minimal. It was scary. And what well, can I ask you just uh, briefly before you go into this, what is the typical time from R&D, research and development, to the rollout of vaccines? I know you're not an expert in this, but having worked with Big Pharma your entire life, yeah, I imagine yeah. you know roughly what that time frame would look like. Yeah, for, for most vaccines, uh, it's, it's probably eight to 10 years. That's what my research showed as well. Yeah, it was eight to 12, but yeah, still, yeah. yeah. And it, it, it varies, but, but uh, for most drugs, it, it's, it's, it's more or less the same, right? And, and what you have with most drugs, you, m most people don't understand. <clears throat> drug companies, when they're searching for a new drug, might start off with a thousand candidate drugs or 10,000 to screen, right? And they throw most of them out and they end up with a small basket and they select one or two for further testing, right? And as, as those years go on and they, and they do the pharmacology and they, they do the toxicology in animals and the, the phase one in man, phase two, phase three, which, with, which each take a couple of years, three years, in between those phases, you're, you're collecting information all the time. Most drugs, you're lucky to get one drug through. If you start off with 10,000, you're lucky to get one drug through. It's a risky big, big business. It, it's, it's, it's very risky. And, and people don't understand that. So as you're going through this development over eight to 10 years, say, you you learn so much and most drugs, almost all of them are knocked out because of safety concerns or lack of efficacy, right? Yet, but you, this is an evolving thing. You learn this over eight to 10 years and, and studying the drug and asking the right questions and redesigning your studies depending upon what the study before showed, right? You learn as you go along. With these gene-based vaccines, they, they discarded all that. There wasn't one phase one, two. They raced it. Through. They combined the phases in, into like one clinical trial. That was one of the shortcuts that they used is by combining all the phases. That's how they got their emergency use authorization in Australia in 10 months. Now, Provisional approval is exactly what it says. It's provisional approval. It's not full approval. It, unless you have full approval, you cannot say a drug, any drug, and vaccines are drugs, they're serious drugs, are safe and efficacious. Now, that, it should be against the law to say that because it hasn't been proven to be safe and efficacious. If it's provisionally approved, by definition, it's not been proven to be safe and efficacious. Yet our chief health bureaucrats were running around Australia for a long time saying they're safe and efficacious. Now, they're not saying that right now, okay? I haven't heard them in recent times. They've been very quiet because the vaccines have failed, right? But they were saying for a long time, these things were safe and efficacious. And the data that's coming out now shows that they're neither safe nor efficacious. 
And many people feel that they've done more harm than good. And, and I'm, I'm one person that's in that camp. Well, you are joined by many others because as you notice with the excess deaths and story after story of incredibly famous sports people to mid famous sports people dropping dead. Yeah. I can't recall a time in my life when I've seen that. Yeah. Those were stories that happened every 10 years, not every month. Yeah. And okay, this is anecdotal. This is not scientific. And I am a big believer in science. But the other side of this anecdotal coin is, as we've seen from the rollout of vaccines, there's been a refusal to have any studies buttressed by evidence. Yeah. People have asked that these big pharma companies reveal any of the vaccine risks. And that had to go to court in many countries. Yeah, yeah. So I'm wondering if you could discuss the past two point something years, we're going towards three, but maybe two years, nine months. We've lived a hell, both in Australia and in many countries around the world where lockdown was imposed in such a draconian manner mm. that today you have, you mentioned it earlier, Families are falling apart. People are divorcing, not just over the vaccines, mm. over all of it. Yeah. Mental health of children, of adults. People focus on the children without yeah. forgetting. We were locked up without a jail sentence, yeah. you see. Yeah. And we were locked up knowing that yeah. there was a lot of hokum yeah. in the lockups. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you might speak about this because a lot of people were like, okay, lockdown. Then they were like, okay, masks. And even before the mask mandates were in, there had already been a plethora of scientific information pre-COVID to show that those masks don't work. Yeah, yeah. Well, to begin with, to begin with, we have never seen in Australia the expert, the so-called medical expert opinion about lockdowns, mandatory vaccination, and so forth, and mass. We have never seen any of that opinion. And some of that opinion was so crazy. Uh, it, it was amazing. They, there, was, there was advice from chief health bureaucrats that you could catch COVID from pizza boxes, right? I mean, it was, it was just, it got so stupid. It got so, and those people were still in place, right? Now, um, lockdowns have cost the, the country here and other places amazing amounts of money. And the government has never done an analysis, cost-benefit analysis. There are people that do it. And I would refer your listeners to a book by Professor Gigi Foster, who's just published a book. I can't remember the title of the book. If you look up, look her up online, I think through the Brownstone Institute, she has just published a book, which everyone should read about lockdowns. And she, what, what she's done is she's, she's a professor of economics, right? At the University of New South Wales here, here in Sydney. And um, she has analyzed in a very thorough, very credible way using established principles what the real costs of the lockdowns were taking into account all the factors right and i sat there on the weekend and i listened to her speak and she ran through her numbers and and i could relate to them because 
in my company, in my CRO that I had, I had a health economist. What I employed doctors and pharmacists and scientists and nurses and 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 so and statisticians, and I also employed a health economist who would run up the figures using using fundamental theory that was developed in Australia, actually, as it were, the 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 evolution of the called a science, but it's more or less an art. <laughs> And the, the art of health economics, where you, you, you really try and put numbers to the value of health, right? Um, you, you, you have to do that. If you're going to be spending vast amounts of money on drugs and medical treatment, you have to put a value against these treatments. Now, I, my company was the first company that was actually doing that because we had to argue on behalf of Big Pharma to get their drugs on the national health scheme to get the reimbursements done. And these principles were developed in Australia. They quickly spread to Canada. This was mm, in the 1980s, right? And um, it's, it's all over the world now. Now, Gigi Foster has... has, has has taken those principles, which have expanded and they've been better defined. And there's lots of instruments now that uh, people use. It's a whole whole industry where you, you try and assess um, the value of health policies. Um, and she turned her attention to lockdowns. And it came up with a figure like it, the, the, the cost to Australia was something like 30 times the benefit in, 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 in real costs, right? Now these are life costs, these are life costs, these are mental health costs, these are direct and indirect government costs, they're costs to society due to uh, people being depressed and losing their jobs and the lack of productivity and all, all sorts of things, right? Um, and and yet the government here, or the government nowhere that I've seen, has really looked at this in a critical way. They don't want to look at it. It's a, it's a it, it's a loser for them completely. Lockdowns have failed, right? As these vaccines have failed, but they don't want to look at it. They're even still building right now in Melbourne, in Australia a factory that's going to cost something like $2 billion to produce more mRNA therapeutics. The first one that was released in the world, these vaccines, which were used on healthy people across the world, which they should never have been used on healthy people, because there's no long-term safety at all, and the short-term safety is appalling. They're building a plant to produce more of them now. Can you discuss that, what you mean about the safety? Because a lot of people, and I'm talking, oh God, I have the same thing that you go through. I see people with masks. I, I feel sympathy, but I feel anger because the lockdown we had here in Italy was akin to that of Melbourne, even worse, because we had to print out forms. We were constantly in fear of the police stopping us and asking, where are you going? Like, what yeah. planet are we in? Yeah. And I saw something this summer 
in France that really captured it to me. Your, I'm translating into English, your obedience is prolonging this nightmare. Yeah. And that's how I feel about these people. Unless they are suffering from really some kind of pulmonary disease, I get very angry. Now my gut instinct is, you're the reason why this has gone on, including, do you know this, in many countries such as Italy, not just Italy, and in many states in the US, masks are still being mandated. Yeah. Masks, yeah. I've had it. They had this theater at my children's school having two-door entries, staggered entries. Mm -hmm. The most anti-scientific hokum I've ever heard of in my life. I mean, you learn about this when you're in eighth grade learning about controlled experiments. Wait, where's the control? Yeah. They go in gates that are 20 meters apart, let's say 812, 813, eight, so you have first, second, third, you're going in left, right, left, right, staggered. They go into the same hallway. They eat yeah. together. I mean, it's like you, you laugh or cry. Yeah. I was crying yeah. because our psychological welfare, and I'm speaking even personally, this didn't do me under during the lockdown. It was when we started to slowly come out. Mental health issues arose for so many people. The amount of madness I encounter yeah. in my almost everyday life is shocking. And nobody wants to touch it. You know what they did here? That is complete BS. The government here has rolled out the psychological bonus. Mm -hmm. So what they're doing is admitting in a very sinister way that there's a psychological pandemic. Yeah. yeah. That's the pandemic yeah. that they have created and they have the temerity. They, they have the audacity to call it yeah. a bloody bonus. Yeah. Like I will go to my grave. I'm going to say this forever angry about this until we have clear investigations because it has destroyed our lives. It's destroyed my family's life. We have had mental health issues in our family because of this. Mm -hmm. My son, all I care about, I've told his teachers, I don't care if he's illiterate. I care that he plays football every day and has interactions with other boys his age. Yeah. Because stealing that from someone from the ages of four to six, mm. if this were a study, I would never get, I mean, I'm in anthropology, but if I were a sociologist or a social psychologist or whatnot, I would never, and you know this, I would never get approval for a study where I say, I'm going to study this cohort of four-year-olds and follow them for the next two years, depriving them. No, this would be considered a violation of the Geneva Convention, not to mention many other things. It would be viewed as, as criminal. Mm -hmm. That's why twin studies are often used. It's not even because, oh, they're just twins. It's because that's the only ethical way of doing certain kinds of studies that wouldn't implicate massive human rights violations. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, look, I, this is played on my mind because it, this has just started me thinking, my God, we are really in a post-truth world. It is driven and enabled by the media. Without a complicit media, threatening company excluded, of course, it, this could not happen. But the media is complicit in this tragedy. It is so ugly and it has revealed an underbelly of society that really is scary. Um, I've lost friends. People knew me. They knew what I did in my career. I was very successful. Um, 
yet their attitude toward me changed. They don't want to know. They don't even, I offered to tell them, the shutters come down. They did not even want to know. They're so scared and so fixed in their ideas. It was just such an eye-opener to me. It has just been amazing. And the scary thing is, this doesn't just apply with COVID, right? You look at how scared people are, you know, 12-year-old girls in the streets on climate change. And yet they know no science about climate change. They know nothing about it, but they're scared witless about it. They know nothing about it. And the media just goes along with it. It doesn't want to uh, uh, enter into any debate. It doesn't want to challenge any views. Uh, it's just, it, and people call it settled science. Anyone that knows anything about science knows that science is never settled. And, and I'm, not a, I'm not a skeptic now. I mean, it, the, the whole world is saying the same thing. When you get excess deaths that occur in all countries and all the insurance companies are seeing it, they're the people who have skin in the game, right? That's where the rubber hits the road. When, when they have people dying and they have to pay out millions of dollars to people in their 40s who are dying. And you, you mentioned it, it, it sports people who, who are dying. It's not just a couple sports people here and there. We had three famous cricketers in Australia dying within weeks of each other in, in the prime of their life, right? They weren't sick people. They weren't unhealthy people and no one asked the question. I mean, there have been more than 900 elite athletes dropping dead either during exercise or closely after exercise. And although it wasn't completely unheard of in the past, you had the odd, the odd occasion, but now you have 900. It's something like 22 to 25 times the number of reported deaths. You can look them up on the internet. You can see their names. You can see their ages. These are elite athletes. And yet no one asks a question. No one has the curiosity to ask. That is scary. That is really scary. Our bureaucrats aren't even asking the question. Now, they're backing up a bit at a time, okay? You see what Denmark is doing. You see what Norway is doing. You see what the UK is doing. You see what they've done in Florida just recently. I don't know if you've heard about that, but, but they're all backing away from recommending that everyone should get vaccinated now. And they're saying, you know, it's a, it should be reserved for the, the elderly and the frail with comorbidities and stuff. And I... I even question that, but 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 these major countries they're backing up slowly, slowly. Even even the drugs like molnupiravir, which they the Australian government approved that on the basis of a single clinical trial, which was unconvincing. This is an old drug, twenty year old drug that was mutagenic. It, it potentially could cause cancer, right? It was rejected in a number of countries. And our government bought $400 million worth to put in store 
on the basis of a single clinical trial, which had unconvincing results short term and long term, the safety data is really poor. Yet they bought $400 million worth, and it must be sitting somewhere. Um, this, is, this is how frightened our government was, and they've been very poorly advised. There are, there are power brokers here. I, I won't name any names, but there are power brokers here who are influencing the government and the decisions. And, and I've been very critical of them all. Um, I cut them some slack in the beginning, but now I don't. Now I don't. Now, now it's, it's not being a skeptic. It, when you're a scientist and you see the same pattern occurring in remote places by different people measuring things in slightly different ways, but they're coming up with the same answer over and over and over and over again, involving hundreds of thousands or millions of people or hundreds of millions of people. And there's a pattern there in what is happening. Any scientist should say to themselves, hang on, this, there's something here, right? That's not skepticism. You, you have to be a, 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 an astute observer in science. That's what science is all about. It's always about testing things and questioning things. The science is never settled. And you have to be an observer of science. And we're seeing these excess deaths everywhere. And yet the government is, has not changed course, has not admitted its mistakes. Walensky um, in, in the US, the uh, director of the CDC has said, yes, we've made states, we're gonna have review. They haven't, they haven't said that in Australia. People are calling for a rural commission here. And I've called for a rural commission here too. Um, the problem with that is that um, royal commissions, um, uh, by their very nature, um, seek to ascribe blame and punish people, right? And both the governments of both persuasions here <clears throat> are guilty. So it's going to be hard to get good terms of reference, right? And and th there is a discussion here about well, should we should we go for a truth and reconciliation type commission, right? Uh, which 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 doesn't aim to hang people or shoot people or put people in jail, right? As long as they admit their mistakes and going forward, we don't do this again. Now, now, I'd be in favor of that. I think that's a great idea because because I I have to say. If I didn't see this in the very beginning, back in the beginning of, of, of 2020, how can I turn to my colleagues and say, you're guilty, you didn't see it? Well, I didn't see it. But, but as the months went on, it became very obvious what the hell was going on. And now the whole world can see it. The, the, my presentation in Melbourne, which you, which you referred to, that was the first presentation that, that I actually went out of my lane, right? I, I usually, when I spoke before September the uh, 10th, I stuck to statistics and, you know, 
Australian Bureau of Statistics and Statistics on Influenza Deaths and stuff like this, and referred to the data in the in the dossiers that registered these uh, so-called vaccines, right? But in Melbourne, I, I just, the time had come to actually say it like it was. It was a post-data presentation where I was wasting my time talking about the data. Everyone knows what the data is now. The data is so clear. Why, why go back and talk about the data? We have to prevent this from happening ever again. And I'm frightened that um, the powers that be are not reflecting. Now, there, there is a sign of hope. They, the TGA, the Australian drug regulator here, uh, the beginning of September, asked for public comment about the rescheduling. It's called the poison scheduling. It's how drugs are categorized and how they can be prescribed, right? And ivermectin was banned. We, we all, the, the, the data on ivermectin is so strong, it's, uh, it's not worth talking about. It's, it's, it's just amazing. It should have been used from the very beginning instead of telling people uh, there's no treatment for uh, COVID. That's another. Well, they acquitted it in the yeah, US. Yeah. If you even say ivermectin, yeah. you're a Trump supporter. Yeah, yeah. It became so political from the outgo. Yeah, uh, uh, that's another story. I, that, that's where I got started here because they were demonizing ivermectin. And I sat back and I thought, hang on a minute. What they're saying is not right. It's not a toxic drug. You know, it has a high therapeutic index. You know, it's 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 one of the safest drugs that are available. Don't start me, right? So, so I I got involved, and then I started to ask myself about these vaccines. I thought, now, 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 let's look at this. They're saying there's no treatment for a serious viral infection. That how how can that be? And um, that's how I got interested in the vaccines, but. Um, but just, just just getting back, they they've now the the TGA now have, have asked for public comment on uh, a, a a number of drugs, including at the top of the list, the first one they listed was ivermectin, which is basically banned uh, from pre being prescribed by GPs for COVID here in Australia, um, and and I've compiled a uh, lengthy, detailed, fully referenced submission, and, and, and it's been supported by, by a lot of people, including some important people. And I put it into the TGA, and I, I'm, I'm thinking uh, if they slow walk it, then that's, that's not a good sign. Uh, but but that, that was the first sign that maybe they're rethinking their health policies. We'll wait and see. You're listening to Savage Minds, and we hope you're enjoying the show. Please consider subscribing. We don't accept any money from corporate or commercial sponsors, and we depend upon listeners and readers just like you. Now, back to our show. Do you expect that commissions will be 
birthed by these movements around yeah. the world that are insisting on truth and reconciliation commissions in the same way. I've done a lot of work in Argentina on the disappeared and the children of the disappeared more specifically. And yeah. it was through the Nunca Mas Never Again movements mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. this happened. And I feel very, I, I, I just won't be happy in my life until this is done because the mm. one thing that struck me when I spoke with Martin and Jay early on after they had formed the Great Prairington Declaration with Sunita was this. There's this, I mean, you're a scientist. <laughs> when you're in the science, I studied science. I was an undergrad in, in I was in pre-medical studies actually. And the one thing about science is, as you stated earlier, it's never done and dusted or rarely in the sense of you always ask questions. It's never done and dusted. Never. That, that's what science is. There was a sign for many scientists who, even if they thought this is a dangerous virus, oh my gosh, we need to stay at home for a few days or a few weeks to study this. It was after that initial 14-day period when I became, what's going on? This is clear mm. the demographic at risk. Mm. Children should not be locked up. People should not be locked up. And we were in the first lockdown outside of China here. It was horrific. And there was no scientific community coming forth and saying, we are against these lockdowns because the evidence is early known. We know what is happening. We know who is at risk. We know what should be done. And as Jay Bhattacharya pointed out in this, he came on our show twice. He said recently, the default plan of the US government was always targeted protection. They had that as the plan. What the Great Daring Barrington Declaration wanted was what the US government had as its go-to plan. They detracted from that plan. They derailed their own plan because yes. of what? what's that question mark? Was it panic? Was it incompetence? Was it that Fauci was given more power than he was never elected to have? Well, you see, the problems are at two levels. I, I can certainly speak to the technical level, the clinical trials, the regulatory affairs, the clinical safety and efficacy. I can speak to that very well. I've compiled dozens and dozens and dozens of uh, dossiers for big pharma in my life. I've negotiated them through uh, the drug regulator. I've answered all their questions. I've, I've represented big pharma on so many occasions I, I can't recall, right? I've been around the block, highly experienced. I'm not a political commentator. I don't know about the geopolitics, but what, from where I sit, there has been a huge change underlying this. You can't discuss all this without reflecting on the geopolitics, the, 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 the money involved, the, uh, the uh, public-private partnership type of arrangements which have occurred, the, the bending of the rules by drug regulators, the censorship, the mass medical censorship. I mean, they're, they're, they'll be, they're trying to pass a law, like today in Brisbane, in Australia, they've tabled a, a bill in parliament in the state of Queensland to censor doctors so that if a doctor says 
anything to one of their patients that does not fit the script of the government narrative of the day on anything, they can lose their license. I mean, that is so incredible. I mean, cast your mind back hundreds of years to Galileo. I mean, he was imprisoned for saying that the earth wasn't the center of the universe, right? This entire discussion we're having parallels a subject I've been working on for a decade. Hold on to your seat here. There are women around the planet, I interview them regularly there in Australia and all over the English speaking world who have lost their jobs, been arrested, are facing prison sentence, losing custody of children for saying the following statement. Wait for it here. Women don't have penises. Saying that yeah. will get you fired. Yeah. And this transgender debate yeah. that I've been working on for so many yeah. years that is buttressed by Big Pharma, that is buttressed by an incredible thinking and all penetrative lobby and discourse that denies that biological sex is a reality. Now, what I've yeah. said in the yeah. run up to lockdown in those early weeks of lockdown, I said to people, if you can convince the entire left spectrum of the political rainbow that sex is a fiction, that gender yeah. is anatomical, this is what they advance, I'm not exaggerating one iota, that children can be born in the wrong body, that you and I can be born in the wrong body, that sex is mutable, that I, mean, I can go on for hours about this, but when you can convince a population yeah. that sex yeah. is a fiction, of course you get people yeah. to lock down. That's a no-brainer. This is what I'm talking about. It's a post-truth world. Our head of the Department of Health here, the same person who says these so-called gene-based COVID-19 vaccines are safe and efficacious, he couldn't answer the question, what is a woman? <laughs> now, now yeah, you have to ask yourself, when he says these vaccines are safe and efficacious, and at the same time, he said he can't answer the question what a woman is, and he's the head of the department. It it's Alice in Wonderland here. Yep. I mean, I mean, you 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 cannot believe anything that they're saying. It's all crazy land stuff. And this is why I I I I couldn't believe it when they were recommending these COVID-19 vaccines to be used in pregnant women. I mean, right. these, these are serious drugs. These, these gene-based vaccines using this mRNA technology is serious stuff. Before these vaccines were developed uh, and released, they, they were used on very small numbers of people on an experimental basis for serious and rare genetic defects and cancers. They were never meant to be used in a healthy populations. Kids six months of age to five years, give me a break. They, there's no long-term safety. And when they're not at any significant risk, I mean, I, I, I've written affidavits for judicial reviews in Australia and the New Zealand high, high court cases. And, and I did my research. You, you cannot find a significant risk in really young kids. And yet 
And there's no long-term safety data for these things. Yet they were recommending them for pregnant women, breastfeeding women. And now we know that the mRNA, the spike protein can actually get into breast milk in, in low concentrations, but it, it, can, it can get into breast milk. They told us in the beginning, oh, no, no, we would stay at the injection site. No, it doesn't stay at the injection site. We, that was another lie. Uh, we know all these things now. And yet, they haven't backed away. And, and this is the worrying thing. It's hard to believe. Well, look, Americans get roughly, this is a Pew Research study from last fall, 48% of their news, it's gone up slightly since, and there are other studies that show much more, but roughly half get their news from social media. And when you start to look at Twitter, it's far more than half. So yeah. you are able to block accounts, as you well know, people speaking out, not just scientists, anyone sharing a study that Facebook deems has not been fact-checked. So Facebook has actually said that certain articles are fake news when they are in fact peer-reviewed studies. And this has gone on, oh. Who in Facebook is making these decisions? I mean, what? Who are these people? I mean, this is so crazy. It's unbelievable. Do you know who they are, Philip? It's called the Atlantic Council. The Atlantic Council is linked to NATO. It's one of their subsidiaries. And it's wow. no surprise that you cannot have anything that's at all critical. Say something factual, such as, I don't support invasion of Ukraine. I don't support violence. But Russia has, for over a decade, said, NATO, get out of our backyard. If you say something like that, you risk your Facebook account. Now, yeah, yeah. we know the fact checkers have political and economic interests in a lot of what is being fact checked, but let's go to one of the ideas that you started um, discussing in one of your talks, scientism. What is scientism? And can you talk about this in relationship to this larger debate? Yeah, yeah, right. It, it's not a word that I, that I knew existed. Uh, it was Robert Malone that introduced me to that to that term, scientism, right? Now, there's always been two types of science, right? There's, there's a science that I was classically trained in where you, you go about something in a methodical way. You observe, there, there are, you know, you, 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 you test various things in different ways. You try and replicate tests. You, you look at what other people have uh, uh, done, uh, you, re, re, you, you refine your testing, you test further, you publish, you listen to the critique and so forth. It's always tested, right? It's, it's classical science. You apply statistics and, and logic and your, your conclusions uh, should uh, support the uh, data that you collected, right? Mm -hmm. that, that's, that's all science that we all know and we all operate to. We, but, but there is another science. There is junk science, okay? And I, I, you, you see a lot of junk science. You see a lot of junk science where they make the wrong interpretations of the data or they cherry pick the data. They, they, they do this a lot in climate change, right? But, but uh, we won't get into that. But, 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 but there is junk science, right? And it, it's just very limited, uh, uh, crazy stuff that you can look at if you're a scientist and you look at it 
and you can you can tell almost instantly that it's junk, right? And you discard it. But then now there's a third type of science, and that's scientism, and that's junk science on steroids. That's junk science, which is supported by so-called experts, right? And that's what we have seen in COVID-19. You have, you have people who put themselves up as experts and people have faith and trust in them and they, they're professor of this or doctor of that and won prizes and they're head of institutes and, and so forth, right? And they publish lots of papers and they say something and people believe it, right? And, but the COVID-19, that narrative and all that misinformation about the safety and efficacy of the vaccines and how you should treat it and everything else that went along with it, the lockdowns, the masks, the vaccine mandates and all that sort of stuff, all that is, is just junk, but it was supported by government bureaucracies, experts. That is scientism. That's junk science on steroids. And the average person in the street out there has no way of telling if it's real or not. That if, and, and if they get really scared, they'll just believe it. And it's, it's very difficult to convince someone that they've been duped. It's, it's one of the hardest things in the world to do. It's much easier to, to uh, convince people with a lie than it is to convince people that they've been duped. That's one of the things I read about lockdown. One person speaking in the media said the problem with these lockdowns is that they've been so well done, it's going to be hard to convince people to unlock. And we're seeing that because you're seeing a high rate of cases of people who have psychological disorders such as agoraphobia. Can you talk about what happened at the beginning of deciding to have a vaccine? Didn't any of these scientists think maybe this will cycle through the population and die down? Because remember the lie we were told, it's about protecting grandma, grandpa. This was about yeah. that, but it quickly, they were what I call human shields, discursive human shields. They were used yeah to prop up a certain political mechanism. Nothing has rolled out for any of these elderly folks in ways of Meals on Wheels, helping to come and be social with these elderly people who are isolated because their families shouldn't be in contact with them because their kids are going to school, nothing. This was a lie. And then you have the Sweden lie. The Sweden yeah. lie is they're killing their elderly. But science has said yeah. something else on this, hasn't it? Yeah, of course. I mean, the results in Sweden speak for themselves. They didn't lock down and their results are pretty good. And yet our health authorities won't refer to Sweden. They, they don't want to know about Sweden, right? Because it doesn't fit the narrative. Now, this, this business of what you just mentioned, of giving kids a gene, a serious gene-based therapy it was not proven to be safe and efficacious. Giving it to kids to protect old people? That's the first time I've ever heard of anything like that. Who, who ever dreamt that up? 
I mean, exposing children to a potentially lethal drug. I mean, th these vaccines have killed kids. There's no, no, no question about that. It's, the, the question is how many? And that, that's what the debate is. We can get into adverse drug reactions, but we, maybe we leave that for, for another time. But the whole concept of treating innocent, healthy children it, with a drug that hasn't been proven by definition to be safe and efficacious, to possibly protect old people was ludicrous. That was a ludicrous idea. Who came up with that? Yeah. Well, the same person that said, let's follow China and what they're doing, because that country with its excellent human rights record is something we should emulate in lockdown, yeah. right? Yeah. Same thing. Well, yeah, that, that's exactly right. We've made so many mistakes uh, in, in, in this uh, pandemic. It's just amazing. I mean, my focus is basically on the technology where the mistakes there were. And uh, I can see them so clearly. They were so predictable. So many corners were cut with, with a new therapeutic class of drug that was rushed through the system. And it's no wonder that all these problems are emerging now. They're trying to suppress them. I mean, the US FDA fought in court not to release the FISA safety data for 75 years. I would never have thought I would live to see the day when the drug regulators like the US FDA, who's supposed to be our gatekeeper for safety, would be withholding, wanting to withhold safety data for 75 years. How, how can you justify that? What, what, what possible argument could one use to justify that? I, the whole system is breaking down. I mean, that, that is a good example of how the system now is broken. Yes, and Jay Bhattacharya told me something that I think we need to address on a national scale in each country, and this is it. Fauci, people think, was just a political figurehead used to promote a certain narrative. Whether or not you believe his follow the science or not, there's a larger question. On either side of the debate in which you stand, this is the problem. Fauci funded loads of the scientists who were on panels who decided COVID lockdown policies. And his direct input into these people's careers would make or break them. There was a massive conflict of interest from the get-go in his inclusion, not to mention the recent book on him which shows that he has helped to fund the Wuhan Institute's research into this very virus. And there are red flags all over. There's no, absolutely no doubt about it. I'm, I'm really surprised there's even any debate. I, I mean, even, even like as uh, long ago as like, like a year ago, you could be taken off Twitter for saying that uh, 
this virus was engineered, right? It's not natural. It didn't come from bat suit, right? You'd be taken off Twitter. Now, honestly, anyone, anyway, I mean, you, you, you just have to look at the patents that have been issued uh, and the genetic sequencing that have been, that have been done. Uh, there's no doubt the gain of function was well-researched uh, at Chapel Hill in North Carolina, was funded by the NIH and so forth. And that technology was transferred to Wuhan. Now, there's still a debate as to whether or not the virus just escaped by mistake or, or something else, right? Um, yeah, I won't get into that, but, but the, the debate is over about whether or not this virus came from bat soup. They, they have tried to find this virus in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of animal species. It's nowhere to be found, right? It's, 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 it hasn't come from nature. Well, the one thing that is still sending shockwaves through me is how many countries are still recommending these vaccines, as you mentioned, even to children. I mean, shame on these people. And to 21-year-old men or women. I mean, these are the most at risk of vaccine damage. They are the least at risk of dying from COVID. Yeah, it's, it's, it is changing. It's changing very slowly. That's, that's my main gripe, right? It, this has been known now. Um, there's, look, there's no good news about the vaccines. You know, you can read, I, I spend the first part of my day, I tell people all the time, I spend the first part of my day, every day, hours going through the information that has been sent to me, that, that I uncover and so forth. There's no good news about the vaccines. It's all bad news. And we, we, the trend has been the same for well more than a year, right? And yet, and yet governments are not changing course. They're not apologizing. There's no reflection. Um, some, some governments like in Denmark and Norway and the UK and in Florida, yeah, right. They're, they're saying, okay, don't withdraw them completely, but you know, if you're under 50, you really don't need them, right? Uh, 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 that, that's crab walking back. And, and I do notice that even the recent approval uh, for um, a COVID-19 uh, vaccine in Australia for six month to five-year-olds, uh, it, it wasn't recommended for all six month to five-year-olds, right? It was said, if they're at risk um, from an immune point of view um, and the distribution would be very limited and so forth. So they were backing away from everyone should get the vaccine. And uh, that's good because I think up until recently, they've been thinking everyone needs to get these vaccines every three months from here on out. That's where they were going, right? Right. And they were having assigned forms that gave waivers to these companies such that yeah. you can no longer take legal action against them. Yet your government is saying, get them or you pay a fine, as has happened across the EU. 
you have yeah. many governments forcing this upon people. People, yeah. I've met people and spoken to people who've lost their jobs because yeah. they refuse to take the vaccine. Yeah, well, there are teachers in the state of Queensland, in Australia now, right now, who are, their salaries are being docked. They're, they're having to pay a penalty in their salaries for not being vaccinated with a vaccine that is now no longer relevant. It's expired. If you were, in, if you were vaccinated a year ago or 18 months ago with these vaccines, it's not working anymore now because that, that's why you need the boosters, right? And that's But the right. boosters don't, don't last long. But if you weren't vaccinated in the very beginning, they're docking your salary. Why? Just as pure punishment. Doesn't have anything to do with health issues. They just want to punish people. They want people to comply. And, and it's really unfair. These things have not been proven to be safe or efficacious. They have not been approved. They've been provisionally approved, depending on the safety data that these companies can provide over the coming years. And the safety data that's being generated right now is not looking great. The adverse drug reactions around the world are throwing out red flags. The, these, these vaccines have caused more adverse drug reactions than any drug by far in the history of medicine. There have been drugs withdrawn for as few as two or 300 deaths, right? We're looking at tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of deaths related to, directly related to these vaccines. Now, governments don't want to admit that, and it's easy to wave away causality regarding linking a drug to a death. That, that's a uh, subjective thing, and if you want to wave away that relationship, there's lots of ways to do it. You can design the system so that it doesn't uh, record those deaths. The paradox here of what you're saying is, remember when the COVID deaths were high and a lot of specialists were saying, but those aren't from COVID. A lot of these deaths are with COVID. We're talking about a cohort of over 79 and people are dying yeah. of other things. But yet yeah. they cherry pick the science here because when they want to lump in all those deaths of with COVID together with of COVID, then you have, they do this again with the vaccine. Oh, but they were obese. Wait a sec. People were telling you that back in 2020 that yeah. the, remember the top three groups dying as a result of COVID mm. were diabetes, heart disease, and being obese. All yeah. of a sudden, that disappeared. You, you can't mention that. And even yeah. you were ableist, you were fat phobic or whatnot. But yeah. now we're seeing that this same pretext is being used. They cherry pick. And I want to yeah. refer briefly to the fact that there's legal precedent for what's gone on here. 2012, there was a case, Solomakin versus Ukraine, before the European Court of Human Rights that held that mandatory vaccination interferes with a person's right to integrity protected under Article 8 of the European Convention on Human Rights. 
Now, mm. all of that went away because here in Italy, if you were supposed to, or in France, if you're supposed to sign for a vaccine, you are actually signing not just for your approval of the vaccine, you are signing that there is no legal risk to the maker of that vaccine. And yeah. that's a real problem because that's sort of a smoking gun. Yeah, 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 that, that's exactly right. The, one of the keys to all this one of the reasons why this has all happened goes right back to 1986, I think, where the vaccine manufacturers um, in the U.S. were able to uh, avoid any liability of harm. So if you don't have any liability in terms of safety for a vaccine, it's human nature. You're you're more inclined to rush through the development to make some money, and if someone gets injured along the way, well, you know, we don't we're not responsible. We don't have to pay any money out, um, and that's been that's been a huge problem. The other problem was they call these things vaccines. That 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 was at the root of the problem, because they don't they don't. They didn't follow the conventional definition of, of vaccines. They didn't prevent infection or prevent transmission of infection. And now you can see with all these boosters how, how they failed, right? If you have to get a booster vaccine for something every three months, do you, would you think that it's, that it's been successful? No, it's not, it's not been successful. Right. And even the success after the initial vaccine and then each booster they're not a done deal. It's not like getting a polio vaccine, even though what they, the other side might say, well, polio's had a resurgence. Why yeah. has polio had a resurgence? There's a reason. All of other parts of medicine were shut down. Loads of people, even now as we're speaking, are afraid to go to their local health practitioner for basic jabs for their children because they're yeah. afraid. They've been so indoctrinated to fear being near people that they won't go to the clinic. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, this is it. Uh, when, when you consider the cost of lockdowns, you have to throw in to, to that mix, that analysis. Uh, all those people that didn't attend um, their doctors for diagnosis of possible cancers or heart conditions and so forth, there is a cost there. And that cost has to be paid. And uh, Lockdowns, lockdowns fail. There's, there's no question about it. The lockdowns were a bad idea. And yet uh, our government here is seeking to hang on to those emergency powers so they can do it again. And I, this, this, is, this is why you need a rural commission so that we, we get to the nitty gritty of this because it's gonna happen again. It's, it's bad enough now, but it could be even worse in future. And that's why we have to understand what really went on and what were the drivers of all this. So it doesn't happen again. Oh, I agree. Because as I said to many people over these years, what happens when the next pandemic is literally dangerous? Not mm. this nonsense mm. we've been fed. You're going to have a yeah. lot of people that were first in line for the quote unquote vaccines who might have cycled through psychologically all the BS that we're talking about now, and they become very 
anti-science, all those three groups of science. They don't believe the fake news. They don't believe the real science news. They just mm. don't believe anything. And then what happens when you have a civil population of people that when they're told something on the level of Ebola is out there, that they say, mm. don't believe you. This is the failure of public health across the globe. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, you see, a lot of people now, like myself, are saying, hang on a minute. If they've lied to us about these vaccines, what else have they lied about? And, and a lot of people are rethinking the traditional, conventional type vaccines, um, for, rightly or wrongly. But, but really, with the mass censorship and the lies that, that we've been fed and the mismanagement that we've experienced, you have to start to ask yourself, hang on, every time they say you need a vaccine now, you should stop and think about that. Um, so I, I think the mask has slipped a bit here. And I think they've, they've overplayed their hand. Um, a lot of people are waking up now. Uh, there's a lot of resistance to people getting the boosters. They're not able to sell the boosters now like they thought. Is a lot of people are just saying, no, I don't need a booster because they know people who have been injured, bad side effects. I know a few people who have died um, and they're saying to themselves, mm, not so much right now. I think I'll pass on the boosters. Um, I think they've overplayed their hand. Right, that in addition to the fact that there have been recent studies to show that having the vaccine or the boosters doesn't mean you are less likely. In fact, there's one study I'm thinking of that shows that the incidence of having COVID is higher. Well, well I just looked at the stats for the state of New South Wales, where Sydney is, right? That comes out every week. Um, I think almost everyone in hospital uh, they don't distinguish between with or due to COVID, but almost everyone in hospital in New South Wales uh, with COVID or in ICU with COVID or died of with COVID, right, were boosted, fully vaccinated and boosted. And there was a direct relationship between the number of injections that you that you received the number of vaccinations, and uh, whether or not you went to ICU or, or died. Now, there were a few people there that, a handful, less, less than a handful, that were completely unvaccinated uh, that died. But there were many, many more. I forget the figure. It might, might have been 70 or, or 80 just off the top of my head, that died who received their second booster. Uh, it's just amazing. There's that, and that's not just last week. That trend has been the same for months. And it's not only in New South Wales or Australia, you, you, you see that in other places too. 
we have to push our governments to have inquiries, whether it's the Royal Commission there or other states. You have groups of people who have been pushing back, saying, we can't continue to live like this because the risks to public health are too great, to medicine. Look what's happened with national health services all over the world, where they've curbed a lot of services. Now you can go and get your smear test, but you might not find someone there. This is now ongoing. Many health systems have fallen to ideology, thus falling themselves to economic danger. And, yeah. you know, we yeah. really have to, when people say protect our national health, well, one of the ways to protect our national health, I don't think was standing on our balcony clapping. I think that was no. part of the theater, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, it's really bad. I spent most of the day listening to a court case that I'm involved with where a lady in Australia is waiting for a heart transplant. She needs a heart transplant and she can't get one because she refuses to be vaccinated with a COVID-19 vaccine that's going to produce a spike protein, which she knows is cardiotoxic to her failing heart that she has right now. And yet the hospital and the doctors won't give her a heart transplant. They're convinced that she needs to be vaccinated. They don't really understand the data that's supporting these vaccines, the adverse drug reactions that are coming through. I think the clinicians just have such a focus. You know, when you're, when you're into heart transplantation, I can imagine you're so highly focused that you, you really don't have time to delve into the finer points of the safety issues of these, these vaccines. And you just listen to what the expert advisory committees say. And so I can understand, you know, why they think like they do, but they really should listen to some reason. Well, my GP and my children's pediatrician, recently, in fact, I went to see my children's pediatrician and you have to have masks, as I mentioned. Mm. I went in to see her with my children. They had to get certified to play football. I said something critical of the masks because the mask she was wearing wasn't an N29 even. This is just, <clears throat> and she yeah. said, well, you yep. know the masks, we have to wear yeah. them because this virus. There are some children who come to me who are very sick. And I said, but these masks, we might as well be wearing toilet paper in front of our faces. This is just the host and we're genuflecting. Yeah. She got very angry with me. And as I left her office, I noticed she put up a copy of a very populist newspaper on the wall near her door that spun more fear. And the control of the masses, the masses look to their doctors, their GPs, their pediatricians and say, well, she said I should wear a mask, yeah. but they don't realize that Myself, I'm an anthropologist turned journalist. I've been following the science, the science, not the Fauci science, and I read a lot. Mm. It was very clear early on, the mask studies that pre-existed COVID, the mask studies since COVID, including the widely underrepresented Demask study, this shows the science. Yet people seem to think that doctors are these magicians, that their doctor has a link somehow to nuclear fission and immunology, if you know what I mean. The doctors don't know much. There's, they fall into various groups. There are some 
who are awake, I speak to them all the time, and um, they're doing their very best to fight against this. Some of them have had to resign or retire. Some of them fight back in their own little way. Uh, others um, have just pulled down the shutters. They just don't want to know. It's too difficult to face. Um, and then there's a group of doctors who um, just, you know, refuse to open their eyes. They they just they they're just so trusting of the bureaucracy that they just cannot believe that they would have been led astray, right? And they really believe in their heart of hearts. They don't have to look because the experts are looking after us, right? And you can't even talk to them. You can't even begin to talk to them. Thank you.